0: If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Welcome back everyone. We are in our summer series where we're just hearing stories from various amazing first responders and frontline workers. I'm so grateful to join you again with an amazing guest and I can hardly wait for you guys to hear it. Let's dive in. Well, welcome, Stephen. I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm so glad that we get to join each other, even though you're coming all the way from Texas. This is like fun to get to reach across such space and time and all the jazz to get to connect. Cool. The glory of technology and internet. Um, I am so excited that we get to chat about kind of these ideas around like what brought you to the work, what keeps you in the work, what makes you excited about the work that you do. Also, some of the challenges that you've learned about along the way, I think that a lot of people in our audience really value just kind of feeling like they're seen and heard and known and that feeling of like, oh man, someone else feels that too and other people get it. Um, I also find that in a lot of the work I do, I work with first responders kind of across the gamut of what would count as first response in frontline work. And I find it hilarious how similar the stories are, even though the professions are quite different. Um, that I often feel like I kind of live through Groundhog Day when I have sessions back to back and I'm like, oh, my nurse is saying the same things as my corrections officer is saying the same things as my social worker. Uh, And just like the commonalities in some of the experiences. And I think that there's a lot of value in just feeling like normalized and validated for some of that. And I also think that we can like learn from each other's wisdom and grow. So I'm excited about this year and I'm excited that you're joining us today. Um, so I'm going to let you maybe give us a bit of the background about who you are, what what you do, um, and how you entered into it.
1: Okay. So my name is Steven. Uh, I'm 34 years old, I think.
0: Yeah. I kind <laughs> of lose track after 30. It doesn't really matter True. the same way.
1: Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm currently a licensed paramedic here in Houston in uh, Harris County, which is the largest county in um, in Texas, actually. Um, I work for a 911 organization, Here's County Emergency Corps, and we have a pretty large area. Um, I was just promoted to field training officer, so that's like a plus, um, but I'm also still an in charge paramedic. So I, uh, <clears throat> I'm in charge of basically everything all the medications, all the personnel, whether it be my partner or students on the ambulance. Uh, I am a native Houstonian, also a United States Navy veteran. Uh, while I was in the Navy, I was a, a medic as well, a hospital corpsman. And um, that kind of brought me to the civilian sector of being a medic and just continuing that journey. Now, the thing that brought me Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, frontline work was when I was a kid, I used to watch uh, this show called Trauma Life in the ER. And I was always fascinated Mm -hmm. by all of the, uh, you know, crazy stories that that they, you know, talk about uh, with trauma and in the emergency room. And so I'm like, you know what, I want to be a trauma surgeon. And so that was like my whole thing growing up Mm -hmm. is, is going to school to be a trauma surgeon, right? The first time I was able to get my feet wet, literally, in the field was uh, uh, as a, a lifeguard at Six Flags Splash Town here in Houston. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so pun intended right now. Um, so my uh, instructors, my lifeguard instructors were actually EMTs, and so we would do all of this stuff, and they were teaching us all of these rescues and how to do CPR, and, and at the end of everything, they'd be like, okay, and then we'll, once the uh EMTs show up and everything, then they'll take over care. Or once the paramedics show up, they'll take over care. And my uh, lifeguard instructors at the time were both EMTs. And so um, I'm like, what is this EMT stuff or whatever? Like, how did I get, you know, associated with that? Um, it was just kind of in the back of my mind and whatever. You know, I just wanted to have some type of hands on patient care interactions. And that's why I became a lifeguard. Um, that summer, I actually uh, left for the Navy. I got my dream job as a hospital corpsman and everything. And so I, you know, did that in the Navy. And once I got out, uh, during the time when I got out, at least, there was no uh, type of legislation where uh, we had to have like some type of equivalent job as we had while we were in the military. That's changed now. Okay. So it, now everyone that's a medic in the military has to take the National Registry exam um, and get the, at least their EMT, right? And so um, okay. after I got out, I had to go back to school and everything and do EMT basic, um, intermediate, what well, it was called at the time, which is the advanced EMT now. And then paramedic school. Okay. And so that's basically, that's basically, you know, been my journey uh, of how I got into the civilian sector of uh, EMS and, as a frontline worker.
0: That's amazing. I'm curious, the like backstory to the backstory, why yeah. the Navy? How did, how did that become a thing that you wanted to do?
1: So when I was in middle school, they had this program called Leadership Officer Training Corps or LOTC, And I was in that and it was a Navy-based yeah. uh, program. Um, when I got to high school, I continued that and they, we had, uh, at my school, at least Navy junior reserve, I was a training Corps, and so it was very yeah. Navy, Navy based as well. So I understood the Navy structure, um, you know, the rank structure, um, a lot of the Naval history, because that's the type of things that we learned in NJRLTC. And so, um, I, I just felt comfortable with the Navy as opposed to any other service.
0: Yeah, cool. And, and the choice to serve was kind of always a piece that you intended on.
1: Uh, more or less, no. <laughs> um, it was just <laughs> something about, you know, okay. cause I've, you know, I had, uh, I gotten a, a scholarship to Johnson and Wells university after I had won this regional competition, uh, which is a culinary school. And I mean, I love to cook, I love to bake, but it just wasn't my passion. Right. At the, especially at the okay. time, it was just something that I was pretty good at. Um, and so I could have gone to Johnson and Wells, um, and, you know, had that whole college experience and a college life, but, I just, it just didn't align with me at at that time. And so I wanted to do Mm -hmm. something that was more uh, beneficial, something that I could be proud of, uh, something that was kind of a little out of the ordinary, but something that I could also start a career in and and, and continue a journey with that career. Mm -hmm. And so that was what kind of brought me to the Navy.
0: Cool. Well, and I know that there's also kind of this like journey that you're entering into or kind of moving towards. So I know that you're um, a medic and that that kind of emerged from your time in the Navy. And I also know that you're doing your doctorate right now and that yeah. there's like big plans for the future. So tell me about some of that trajectory and, and how, how you kind of hope this moves into a career path for you going forward.
1: So education was always stressed to us, like myself, uh, along with my sisters, is something that was very valuable and very important. You know, my mom always said that, you know, anything can be taken away, but no one can ever take away your education and your knowledge. And so it was kind of, you know, us as, as, as kids and everything to, to pursue something with uh, education. Um, yeah. When I got uh, out of the Navy, I started to go back to school, like I said, EMT, intermediate and then paramedic school. Well, I didn't want to be mediocre. I didn't want to be like a cliche paramedic that just stopped there. Right? I wanted to advance my education. And so I went on and got a bachelor's of science in emergency health sciences, which is an uh, EMS based degree. Um, okay. And after working in EMS for a while, I was like, okay, what's the next step, Stephen? You know what? You need to go ahead and, and, and do something else. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do nursing school because that was like the normal, like moving everything from a paramedic is going to nursing school and becoming a nurse. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of move up there. I wanted to have something yeah. that made more of an impact. And so I'm like, okay, well, let me explore some options. I came to healthcare administration. Right. And so that's what okay. I got my master's in was healthcare administration. And now uh kind of went through that same thing. I was actually with someone at the time, and my ex, he was kind of against me going back to school because he said I had spent so much time, um, you know, mm. doing my thesis, and I was also a cheerleader, so I was traveling with the university, and I didn't right. leave a lot of time for him. And so I kind of took a, a break and everything. We're not together anymore. But um, <laughs> after we broke up and everything, I'm like, you know what? Now, I guess now it's my time to go back to school and, and, and pursue my mm. doctorate. And so I started exploring some um, PhD programs and I found a uh, doctor of health administration with a concentration in health policy and advocacy. And I say, you know, I really want to help advance the field of EMS and I think I can do that with this degree. I you know, anybody could talk and anybody could be heard, but I think once you have a, like a doctor in front of your name or whatever, people take you a little bit more seriously. Yeah. And so, because they, they look to you to be like an expert in the field at that point. And yeah. so I'm like, you know, I have all of these ideas and I have a lot of, uh, neat things that I would like to see for the the field of EMS in the United States. And I think if I have a doctorate in front of my name, people might listen to me more than just having a master's. And so um, enroll in that program, I think it's been about three and a half years so far. Um, mm-hmm. I just started working on my dissertation and uh, hopefully I'll be done with that uh, by September of next year if I stay on the path that I'm currently on.
0: Cool. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. I love it. I, we did a series, um, probably about this time last year. Actually, we were probably in the thick of it. Um, I don't know if you've ever read Brene Brown's Dare to Lead book. I have um, not. It is excellent if you have intentions of doing any kind of leadership, management-y things, which it sounds like you got big plans for. Um, she talks about essentially like how we lead teams and how we have heart based authenticity in our leadership. Um, and one of the things so we did we did kind of a book review as as a series on the show. Um, and the the rationale was that one of the really common complaints, I think, for a lot of people who are in first response and frontline work is the like toxic bureaucratic systems within which they exist, and a feeling of powerlessness to exert influence on the upward echelons of what trickles down and has really direct influence and impact on those on the front lines and so Uh, One of the things I've gotten really passionate about um, is this idea of, like, building better leaders. Like, we right now we are powerless to change some of these levels up here because so many of these levels are informed by just shit, right? Like, just, like, bad policy and bad Mm -hmm. funding and... Bad lobbying and like conflicts of interest, and all kinds of really shady things Mm -hmm. that make it super complicated and really nebulous. It also like we tend to promote people that aren't necessarily best for the job, but people who really like the power of the position, Mm -hmm. but don't pass that down in ways that like empower the people on the front lines to feel really good about what they're doing um, and doesn't hear the voices of those who are actually doing the grit work.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: so we talked about this idea of like, we need to start at the bottom and build up. Like we need to make a generation of people who have lived the frontline work, who are interested in building up and are interested in carrying what they have learned here and the the capacities for better leadership up to the next level and up to the next level to reform the system. Um, and it sounds like that's actually kind of exactly what you are doing and wanting to do as an individual level which is so cool I love hearing when people are like yeah I want to do policy no one wants to do policy it's so cool (laughs) when there's someone who's like I love this work and I want to do policy to make it better exactly I'm excited about your life Stephen I'm excited that you you exist in the world
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much
0: Okay, so I want to know, when you imagined entering into EMS work, what did you imagine it was going to be like it, like? it sounds like you had this like trauma ER, TV show-based map for how you thought it was going to look.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What did, is that kind of the fullness of anticipation about what it was going to look? And like, what did you think was going to be satisfying to you? What did you think the challenges were going to be? What were your expectations about what was going to bring like, joy, but also the
1: hardship? So I'm glad you asked that question. Um, before, you know, getting into, uh, the civilian sector of, of EMS and everything, I really thought it was mm-hmm. like a lot of trauma, um, a lot of blood, guts type thing. Cause that's what we see on TV, right? And that's totally well, <laughs> that's a lot of what we see on TV versus, yeah. you know, some of the newer shows like 911. Uh, they show you some of the medical calls and everything, but you know, in the military or whatever, it's very, trauma-based for the most part, especially like if you're in the field. And so that's kind of where my mind was, okay, well, there's a lot of car accidents, especially in Houston, a huge metro, metropolitan area. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, it was going to be like sticks in people and people's going to be having like, you know, um, a pole sticking out of their brain and I'm going to be transferring right, to they like
0: with something.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so that was like my whole mindset. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this. and that. And so I come to realize that a lot of what we do is really medical-based. And so uh, yeah. working in the field and just in, in pre-hospital medicine or just in emergency medicine for the last 15 years, I come to realize that a lot of the calls that we do are really medical calls, and that's the ones that really make a difference. And I'm a lifelong learner, and I've always stressed that to a lot of students that I come into contact with. Um, I can never stop learning, right? Right. And I think I learned the most on the medical calls that we do run uh, with the patients in our community. Trauma is, I mean, it happens or whatever, but it's not as prevalent as all of the medical things because of the comorbidities that a lot of people deal with, right? Um, we have a really unhealthy society, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon because people like to do what they like to do. They like to eat what they want to eat, et cetera. But um, trauma is is super easy. You know, blood goes round and round, air goes in and out. When you have you know, some type of obstruction to either, or you just fix that issue, transport to the hospital and that's that. I mean, of course we do yeah. some other cool stuff like blood administration and, and things of that nature. But uh, the medical cause is where I actually learn a lot. And that's something that um, that I really cherish and everything because it's something that I can take to me to or to myself and everything, pass on to other people, um, explore the options or uh, some of the uh, different things that works for me. And, and let someone else know, okay, and, you know, kind of compare. Well, when I had the COPD patient, I did this, and it, and this tends to work better. I had another patient, I did the same thing, and it worked. So what have you been able to accomplish with your, oh, yeah, I tried that too. But you could also think about this and everything the next time. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And so trauma is just very kind of in your face, and you just do, see this, do this, almost. Um, but medical is, like, challenging, right? And that's the rewarding part mm-hmm. that I get. Um, some of the challenges that I've had um, in this business is really being um, a, a small percentage of African American in, in this field. And mm-hmm. I wrote an article that I published in Gems about you know my experience as a Black paramedic and talked about some of the statistics in the United States as well as within the field. And we're not aligned h- hardly at all. And I feel like uh, mm-hmm. just being able to navigate um, in this field where. I'm a minority again, right? And having my voice heard in that respect, uh, trying to be taken seriously um, and just not seeing a lot of people who look like me is is one of the most challenging things that I think I've had to uh, encounter. Um, But I'm still learning to overcome that. And, you know, it's um, stressing the importance of diversity in this field and how it can help the patients of our community because there's um, more studies the not uh the the kind of state that people like to see the providers that look like them they want they feel comfortable yeah. and I've actually come to understand that right um seeing mm-hmm. some of the black people in my community when they see two black people uh, show up on their call and everything um having that much more uh, of a sense and uh, mm-hmm. that they're gonna be cared for more even though you know we all care for e- people equally, but just having that mm-hmm. feeling and, and sense of relief seeing that another black face or something like that, coming to take care of them with the knowledge that our counterparts have and everything. I think it just uh, says something about the, the field that we're in the future of how this field can be or whatever, if we do diversify and include like, you know, DEI training and and the core education. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been the biggest challenge that I've had.
0: Hmm. Did that one surprise you?
1: It actually did. Uh, because in the Navy or in the military in general, it's a, a melting pot of individuals, right? Um, yeah. You have black, Asian, white people, Hispanics, uh, people from all over the world, and that's like coming through the uh, military to get like citizenship and things of that nature. But we're all totally. uh, one team, one fight, and we're all on the same page as far as the uh, the goals are concerned. We usually share the same values and ideals, and so coming in the civilian sector, I kind of thought that it was going to be the exact same, you know. But to my surprise, I joined uh, my paramedic program, and I was the only person in the class. And I'm like, okay, well, this is mm-hmm. different. And then I started hearing um, you know, some of the not-so-good conversations that I probably <laughs> – uh, mm. I well, I know that I shouldn't have experienced it, but it kind of made some type of anger in me and everything to want to say something. But I know that I was the only one, so I really didn't have – any type of support, you know, in speaking about some mm. of the issues that I was having. And then uh, my instructors and everything was the, it's the same and everything. And so um, I didn't yeah. feel comfortable, but I knew that I had to overcome that. And so what I did was I just made myself to be the smartest person in the class. <laughs> so I made friends that way. People came yeah. to me for study sessions um, and we just, you know, kind of got along a little bit. Uh, a lot of people start to trickle off and everything because they just weren't passing the classes. So the group and the cohort that I actually graduated with, we actually really close friends still to this day.
0: Cool. I mean, that's cool that that gets to be the outcome. It's tough that, that there is that piece about having to work harder than everyone else in order to be seen as equally valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other pieces that surprised you in terms of like the expectation of what I thought was going to bring satisfaction versus what actually does. And same with the challenges. Were there pieces that surprised you in terms of what you thought were going to be the hard parts versus what actually are the hard parts?
1: Yeah. I mean, I thought that the satisfaction was going to be, you know, saving lives and, you know, having that hero mentality, but I've strayed far away from that hero mentality. I'm like, I'm just doing my job and trying to make a difference. And so that's what I thought was going to be, you know, that success factor. Mm. But I found that, me educating others on on my field and the the thing that I'm passionate about, which is, you know, emergency medical services. That's been my true passion, like teaching.
0: Cool, yeah. That's a fun one to discover. I remember when I first had interns, um, I remember this very specific moment where I had this one intern, his name was Fred. And he and I had very different, like theoretical orientations, like ways of understanding people and problems and whatever. And so I was often having to like adapt how i would talk about how i think about a clinical problem to try to meet him where he was coming from which felt hard for my brain but like good like a good hard like i have to like not default to what's easy i have to kind of push myself outside of my own window of comfort which is good i like that mm-hmm. and he we were talking about this clinical issue and uh he asked a question about it and i kind of laid out well this is how i would think about it and what i would do and he looked at me and he was like how did you know that was the answer? And it was this like really cool moment where I'm like, how did I know that was the answer? Like, I'm very sure that's the answer. I'm very confident in that being the answer, but like how, what's like the meta analytic process that gets me from where I am to where we're talking about this and and explaining Mm -hmm. that way that we think about how we think to another person makes us question things. And it makes us kind of sit with like, Okay, I do know this, but what are my decision-making points, and how do I offer that to someone else so that they have those same principles as decision-making points? Like, it's so much uh, more like nuanced and intentional, and um, and it forces us to be better at what we do because we don't just default to what we do as if it's like mm-hmm. muscle memory. We have to be able to explain it in like precise detail to another human who's going to go implement it with like real people mm-hmm. and potentially for good or bad, change lives, right? And so like that, the learning that that brings excitement and has like, this makes me a better professional. I think that's a really cool piece.
1: Yeah, it's like being in a math class and knowing the answer and writing the answer down, but not getting credit for it because you didn't explain how you got there.
0: Totally. Yeah, it's 100% like that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. which I hated in math class, but I really like in here.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Different subject matter. <laughs> okay. So I'm curious, when you reflect on your work, and let's like the gamut, right, whether we're talking about your work in the Navy, your work as a civilian, what are some of your like big win moments? Like what will you look back on and think, "I'm like I'm proud of me for that one?
1: Oh, yeah, that's an easy one. That's, uh, seeing, uh, my students either come to my company where I work or just seeing them out in the field at other companies just thriving and, uh, yeah. with a critical patient and being able to take care of that patient, seeing that patient alive, um, hearing from them, uh, after, afterwards and, you know, them telling me their story about some critical patients that they've had and how they handled the situation, um, or that they took yeah. my advice on, on something and everything and that it worked. Um, I think that's, like I said, teaching is to me, it's like a passion and I'm not a teacher like in a classroom Mm -hmm. setting anymore. Um, But I did teach uh, EMS for a while. Right. Um, But having those internship students and everything where they're completing 240 hours with me, um, getting to know them on an individual level, on a clinician level, um, and just being able to share my experience with them um, to make them better, you know. Giving 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 them a piece of me so they can be uh, uh so they can thrive in this in this field. That's like my biggest biggest accomplishment and 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 the joy that I get in working in this field. I think that's really what keeps me going as well, because I know that we need more people. We uh you know healthcare is a suffering entity right now from the mm-hmm. ER nurses or nurses in the hospital down to the front lines because we've been just so beat down from this COVID stuff that we've been going through. A lot of people want to just get out of the uh, the industry altogether. And so I know that we have some work to do in like recouping some of those individuals or, or teaching some new individuals our, our, our craft. And so um, I think that's the, one of the important things to me is just sharing those experiences and uh, and just teaching really. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, handing that down. Mhm. I mean, that's kind of the cool thing when you've been in a profession long enough is you become kind of a gatekeeper for it and we mm-hmm. have this ability to influence for good and for bad how that will go, right? And I like I think that's part of why I've always loved taking interns is because it gives us the opportunity to like um see <laughs> mom in the background. Yeah. <laughs> uh I love it. It's good. <laughs> um it gives us the opportunity to like a- allow learning to be really meaningful. And I know that there's internship sites in, in our profession that are kind of like mediocre. You get like not awesome supervision and, not, and, and I worry for what those clinicians and their clients will experience someday. And I, I always get excited about being like, how do we be the best at supporting people to be their best so that they can mm-hmm. give their best to their clients so that they exactly. can help Right. Like we have this opportunity to, to give a trickle down effect that's really meaningful Exactly.
1: Cool.
0: Okay. I'm curious, kind of on the flip side of that, similarly, mm-hmm. when you reflect on your time in your work, what are the regrets or pieces that you wish you could have done different?
1: Um, that one's Some harder. part of me wishes that I could have gotten to this profession sooner as a civilian. It is. <laughs> um,
0: okay. Yeah.
1: It is. Because I really don't have many regrets uh, in this field, to be honest. Um,
0: Okay. So what would have been different if you could have gotten into it as a civilian sooner?
1: I think I would have been farther along um, in this field, for one. Probably would be farther farther along with uh, my education as well. Um, Okay. And making more of a difference than I am already.
0: You guys have heard me talk about the beating the breaking point resilience training series on this show a bunch of times before. For the next two weeks, we are offering this program at a significant discount, and I hope that you'll take us up on the opportunity to join in, check it out, and develop a really bomb-proof resilience program for yourself, a personalized skill set that you can use to help manage burnout and support reducing risks for things like PTSD and other occupational stress injuries. It is an amazing program that I poured blood, sweat, and tears into in an effort to make it all of the pieces that you miss in your training that are really key to be able to manage your mental health and wellness while doing a job that is impossibly hard. So whether you are early in your career and you want to be preventative, or if you are in the midst of it and you are teetering on burnout, or if you are already well down the burnout trail, this program offers something that will benefit you. It will help you build skill sets to build back or build up resilience capacities that you may not have thought of before. My hope for you is that you will take us up on this opportunity to check it out. We include things like a full money back guarantee for a period of time to ensure that what you get feels like it meets your needs. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me and let me know. We also offer this training program for large groups of people for staffs and workplaces. So reach out and connect further if you wanna know more about that. Our $100 off deal on the Beating the Breaking Point program is available from Tuesday, July 5th, all the way until 11.59 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Thursday, July 14th. You have until then to sign up and enjoy this amazing deal and take this opportunity to invest in your wellness for your benefit and the benefit of those who care about you as well as those you serve and serve alongside. And as always, I so appreciate if you would share this with others. So kind of changing gears, when you think about some of the like, tools or strategies or pieces you've developed to try to help you stay like, consistent and capable and like, able to do in your work, given that it is high degree of exposure and stress and all of that stuff, what have you found to be the things that are really helpful for you? Like, What are the things that you do in a day that help keep you kind of like anchored and able to jump back in and go again the next day?
1: Therapy. (laughs) So I have a a therapist. Um, I had a rough time during COVID. Like uh, my mom, she was diagnosed with like stage four cancer. And then like my ex and I, we had just broken up. Um, And then I was in school as well. So I had like all of these stressors, right? On top of working, on top of patients that, um, you know, some of them anti-vaxxers and everything. And I'm, you know, whatever. But yeah getting them getting sick then me getting COVID. um just taking care of every trying to take care of everybody except for myself right and so um yeah. i ended up moving my mom in with me and everything so i can watch her and take care of her make sure she gets her doctor's appointments um and still trying to navigate life at work and so i had a, a an uh episode where i just kind of lashed out at the hospital. Like this one lady mm. was saying, oh, you have an attitude. I say, I don't have an attitude. I just don't like you. And I was just being completely honest, you know, uh, something that was just in my brain and everything that it just came out. And so after this that- came out, the like, filter was Whoa. gone. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so after that, I'm like, okay, myself, my supervisor, some of the administrators at my job and everything, they said, you know, this is not who you are. I'm not sure what's going on. My supervisor knew, but you know, administrators didn't, uh, we don't know what's going on and everything. So we think that you need to get some help. And so I started to go to therapy and therapy has helped me with like tons of things. It's like not even, like I wish I would have started therapy like a lot sooner, like years ago and everything, mm-hmm. because I just noticed that I've become uh, so much more of a nicer person. Not saying that I wasn't nice before, but just able to think about a lot of the actions before speaking. Um, mm-hmm. My therapist gives me tons of homework, which sometimes I hate, but I mean, it's necessary and it's really good for me. Um, totally. And, you know, I just... That, that's something that definitely keeps me grounded. Like, you know, this is not mm-hmm. uh, the end. Uh, this is something that is just temporary. We're all going to get through this. Uh, here's some tools that you can use to, you know, cope with some things. Uh, she, you know, she asked me, what type of things do you like to do? And I'm like, you know, I like to travel and I like to bowl. I'm like, okay, well, just go bowling by yourself and everything. You don't have to have anybody mm-hmm. there with you. And that has been like something that just gets my mind off of a lot of things because all of them just focused yeah. on is my form, knocking pins down, I might have like mm-hmm. a margarita next to me and everything. And so Yeah, you do. Like, all of this is just out on the outside. And I'm just like completely focused on on, yeah. on one thing. And then another thing she told me was uh, to not think about everything at one time and take things just day by day. Right. And so mm-hmm. in doing that, I think that really has helped me with a myriad of things. Because usually I would think about I have to do this and then that is next week, and in a couple of days I have this thing coming up and so it would just all get to me at one time and everything i'm like yeah. you know felt a little bit overwhelmed but when i start thinking about you know just the the tasks for that day and everything i'm like okay well yeah. this i'm just biting off little pieces at this point and everything and before i know it like everything comes totally. together and i'm done so yeah
0: i mean therapy is a great answer but it's also like what we get from therapy, right? Like what we take and apply. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the fascinating thing about that is like therapy in and of itself is only so much because at the end of the day, it's an hour and we have Mm -hmm. to take it and do the work. And so that it does really rely on us to like go and implement and do the applications. And you're right, the homework isn't always fun, but it's kind of like school homework. Like there's a reason they Mm -hmm. give it to us so that we deepen our learning um and we hate it at the time but we are thankful for the educations we have once it's all said and done right
1: exactly um
0: and what i'm hearing from you is that there's like a few pieces right like finding things that actually bring me joy and let me kind of focus my energy on a thing um Mm -hmm. like bowling's a great example it does require a lot of different pieces to come together in order to do it effectively if you want to do more than just what i do which is a lot of gutter balls um right so like or like put up the bumpers please. I like when I go with my kids cuz I do much better. Uh <laughs> but you know like it does it forces us to kind of like center a little bit and kind of anchor to this thing I'm doing instead of the 500 million other things. And even skills like slowing stuff down and being able to like parse it, break it out into pieces so that we're not getting overwhelmed so easily especially when you are wearing multiple hats, right? Like when you're doing a really hard job but you're also in a really hard educational program that has really high demands, right? Like it's a lot Absolutely. to put on someone's plate. And then you add personal life, right? Like having a mom with health issues, that's a huge piece in the midst of everything else you've already got going on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: cool. Okay, so aside from the, I might join the civilian life, do EMS pieces earlier. If you had it all to do over again, is there anything else that you would do differently?
1: I would take more time, uh, take more time for myself, as opposed to thinking about others. Like maybe ninety-eight percent of the time, because I think I, before, especially before therapy, I gave way too much of myself to other people. Always concerned mm-hmm. about their well-being, and and I think that's what makes me a really good practitioner. Is because I can you know do that and everything. I really care about yeah. people, and you know how they live their lives and everything, and wanting them to uh, succeed. Um, but I think it, if I had to do something over or whatever, I would definitely take more time to myself to, you know, spend time with my family and friends or travel more because that's one of the mm-hmm. drawbacks of being in this profession, one, and something that my family also, you know, has kind of scolded me for is not being mm-hmm. uh, present at family functions all the time or always being at work because, you know, I am a workaholic sometimes, or at least I used yeah. to. Be. Now sure. I'm just like, let me just work my shifts and I'm going to be at home right. with my dog, or with my family. My dog is like literally yeah.
0: right here. <laughs>
1: <And> <laughs> Yeah, so totally. We just, you know, spend much more time with him and, um, mm-hmm. and just doing, like you said, doing things that I enjoy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of too bad that we learn kind of too late to value and prioritize ourselves because in mm-hmm. the midst of it, like we are a limited resource and all the goodness that we can offer, we can only offer if we're good.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think right. that it kind of plays into a lot of burnout, you know, totally. and compassion fatigue because you uh, give your give so much of yourself to other people and then forget to take care of home. <laughs> and when I say home, yeah. I mean your your own mental health or your own self. So
0: totally, hundred percent. I mean, it's funny because I feel like on this show we talk. <laughs> I feel like probably people are really sick of me talking about self care. Like it comes up a lot, and I get it. Like I get that. And to some extent, it's in part because I think our culture, like on a broader level, has done us a huge disservice by making self-care like bubble bathy. I have to buy the expensive Mm -hmm. bath bomb for the bubble bath to make it like it's like very commercial. It's very expensive. It's very like fluffy seeming. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's unfortunate because at the heart of it, self-care is really just about recognizing that we are a limited resource and that we can only go as far as our goodness will take us. And so Mm -hmm. if we don't invest in our own selves to be good, we can only do so much good, right? Like I Mm -hmm. often talk about the idea of being like a bank account, right? So what I put into me is then what I'm able to give out. If I'm giving Mm -hmm. out very generously to others, but I'm not putting in, I'm going to be running in the red real quick. Mm -hmm. And then that's where we see you can't pour from an empty cup like it feels like math like it's just like and I'm not good at math but like this is basic even I got this right like it's basic math if you can't if you can't sustain your own self how are you going to continue to sustain others and that's where we Mm -hmm. see so much of the like burnout but not only burnout but like health complications Right. Mm -hmm. Like how many people I see who are like, I was diagnosed with a really weird random like fibromyalgia or like weird arthritis or things Mm -hmm. that are not age appropriate or like otherwise health related to what their actual health concerns would tend to be. But because they've run so far in the red for so long, these are the things like it's our body manifesting things that say, like, you have to stop.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My guess is you probably see a lot of those people.
1: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then you're like, I don't want to be
1: one of them. So how well, do you do that? initially, you know, and then right? like I say, you have to just think about self-care like you said. And, and yeah, I know there's this whole stigma against uh, seeing a therapist and everything, but you know, you can't think about like the stigmas that, that, that might have or whatever. Think about yourself and everything and how you want your life to be affected. Um, as you move forward. And so that's what I did. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. I don't care what people think about me as, as far as going to therapy and everything. I know this is something that I have to do for myself. I like the fact that you brought up the whole bath bombs thing and everything because I love a bath bomb, right? Yeah. Um, but part of myself is actually uh, making bath bombs for myself and then using them and everything, you know? So that's oh, some, amazing. Uh, time, Yeah, it's time I get to just be alone, like I'm bowling or something. and. Looking at a, a, yeah. a recipe for a bath bomb and putting in different scents and whatnot. And then be, being able to use that yeah. for my self care as well. Um, so that's something that I like to do as well. So
0: I love it. Well, and it's like, like I think the thing about self care that makes it kind of tricky sometimes is that it's so highly personalized, right? So like, mm-hmm. I make fun of the bath and the bath bomb thing because I hate baths. I can't <laughs> handle it. I can't sit for that long. And I don't love the feeling of like being human stew. Um, and so it's like multiple, right? Like I can't like sit with no distraction for such an extended period of time. Also, I have this added complication that I have a bathtub that's larger than my hot water tank. So you can't actually fill it. And it Mm. makes me insane. So I did try it like two times and then I gave up on it. But those new shower bomb things, love that. Like it just makes it like steamy and delightful. Magic. Uh Right. But like it's we, I think we do this thing where we're like, well, you just have to like, right, have a bath, but that's not great for everybody. So like, then it's mm-hmm. like this almost um, experimentation, exploration process, figuring out what do I actually like? Like mm-hmm. the number of times that I, as the therapist asked the question that your therapist asked, which is, what do you like doing? The number right. of times that the answer is, I have no idea is yeah. far more often than not. Right. So like that, you had the answer. I like to bowl. That is like, you are in the 1% of people that have an answer to that question, which is crazy, right? Like we should know things that we like, Mm -hmm. but we get so far off track with ourselves. Like we don't even, we've done for everybody else for so long that we don't even know what registers for us anymore.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Mm. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So my last question for you and I'm going to like kind of like open platform this one too, is like if you could speak to students or rookies and people, and you do this all the time in the profession with words of wisdom and advice, what would you share for them or hope that they would know and receive for their careers going forward?
1: Oh man, that is definitely a really easy one. Is it? Good. Yes. Take some time off. That's my, my biggest thing is um, like, you know, a job is going to be a job, uh, whether you're there or not. Um, if you're gone for an extended period of time, that job is still going to continue. You know, I, I understand that you might be important and everything, but at the same time, you have to think about yourself, right? Um, yeah. I have learned just a couple of years ago when I started therapy was to take time off and everything. And that's what my therapist said. You know, some, every mm-hmm. six months you need to start planning some type of vacation. Um, yeah. I don't know who that is. I'll call him back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Takes some- Take some time off, right? And so, like, about every three to, or four to six months and everything, my friends and I, we planned something. Um, like, I literally just got back from Jamaica, uh, Cayman Islands, and Cozumel, Mexico. Because it was like, nice. I started to feel myself getting um, to that point again where I wasn't being, uh, you know, 100% the way that I knew that I could be. I'm like, it's time for mm-hmm. me to take a break, right? Yeah. Um, even, even like, a, just day-to-day work and everything – I'll wake up and I'm like, you know what? I'm not in my right uh, mind space right now. I'm not in the right headspace. I'm mm-hmm. going to call in because I know that if I'm not in the right uh, headspace and everything, somebody might die, right? And I don't really? want that to be on my watch. Um, I might be yeah. thinking about some um, stressors that are occurring at home or something that had uh, an assignment or something that I had to do for school or something mm-hmm. that I submitted, like for my dissertation. Uh, yeah. This is going to be kicked back. Do I have to revise? Some, you know, what I mean? and so because like my section one of my dissertation, I've already had to revise like four times and everything. And so we finally goes. graded it, and so I was like, "Yeah, oh my, that was like really big for me." You know, and so yeah. my my biggest thing that, to tell students is take your time off. Don't think that mm. you have to be enthralled in work like one hundred percent of the time. Um, the the job is going to go on. There's always going to be someone that can pick up the slack, um, but no one's going to be able to pick up you but yourself if you if mm. you start to you know dwindle down and become you know get that compassion fatigue like we talked about or have some type of trauma incident and everything where you're always thinking about that call Um, because your patients is not going to be so lucky if you're you know concerned about other things or whatever and you should be concerned about them and Mm -hmm. so that's something that I always tell students um, don't feel like you can't take a a day off if you need a day off or even two days and everything if your head is not in the game don't go to work especially in this profession
0: Totally. I mean, you kind of just like called out that piece again of like you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that I would piggyback on that or say is kind of like equally and important in it is having the ability to have awareness for what those indicators look like that let you know this isn't today. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that that's one of the things I hear a lot is like we're so in the day to day of the doing that we don't even notice that we're not good. Like we Mm -hmm. don't even know that the cup is empty, right? Like we're not pausing long enough to even have that level of awareness that says, Oh, Hey, so like I haven't been sleeping great and I haven't been eating great and I've been moodier with my family and right. Like, and all of these things, if I stop to notice them might give me feedback that maybe I'm not good, Mm -hmm. but I don't even pause to notice them. Like they almost become part of the monotonous normal,
1: Mm-hmm. And we get
0: so far right. You're smirking like you know this all too well.
1: Yeah, <laughs> because like the thing about it is like most of the time, and I'm not sure the percentage because I haven't studied it, but I, I yeah. think in, like my personal experience, most of the time it's not you who even notice those issues. It's somebody totally. else that notices them. And so you be like, that's when it, it, you start to take a look at yourself and look in the mirror and be like, oh wow, they're absolutely right. And then you start to really think about, I really haven't been eating much, or I've been overeating, I haven't been sleeping much, or being able to stay sleep. Or mm-hmm. you know a lot of uh, other things and everything, and then it comes to your mind, be like, oh shit, I need to take a fucking break. You know, yeah. it's time for me to take a day off. Um, totally. So it's always other people, especially with me or whatever. Like my supervisor, yeah. will be like, are you okay today? I'm like, yeah, I, I think so. And then I'll start. I thought about so it, until you know, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's yeah. That's usually my indicator. I'm like, okay, let me look at this. You know <laughs> time for me to take a day off so that's exactly
0: how it is. I-, I love it. Yeah. I mean, this is... So um, when we started all of these tools for first responders, including the podcast, I had created this um, free tool and it's like an indicators checklist. And it was for this exact yeah. purpose, because the thing is, is like, we know, we hear, watch out for burnout, watch out for compassion fatigue, watch out for PTSD, but then no one tells you what they look like or how you know mm-hmm. you're there, Right. And no one tells you that actually part of what it means to look out for that is doing, like, Mm -hmm. regular kind of check-ins with yourself to be like, how about today? Where are we at in the grand scheme of things on this, like, spectrum? Mm -hmm. Um, And how do I, like, intervene here so that I don't end up here tomorrow? Right? Right? And so we developed this free tool called the Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide. And it, it, like, maps out this exact idea of, like, Really quick, checklisty things that we can be noticing, and then what to do depending on what level it identifies you at. And so, mm-hmm. ways to intervene and try to kind of scale it back a little bit. And the idea is to try to do it. I often encourage people to try to sit down with it once a month. Um, you can do it maybe quarterly and it would still be decent if you're in a like preventative, uh, like I'm doing okay, I don't really need this all the time, but this is good mm-hmm. to just kind of like guide me. And the idea is that it forces you to sit with questions that make you sit with that instead of waiting for someone else to be like, heads up, you're off, right? Mm-hmm. Because by then, we're so far down that train that we have so much further back, we have to work ourselves. Whereas if we could catch it like here, before anyone's really noticing that we're super off we can do more about that sooner and not feel like in order to be okay i have to do these like big measures to get Mm -hmm. back on track
1: i would love to if you could email me that yeah i'll send uh, it to you i literally like yesterday completed um, my certification for a mental health resilience officer and so um, cool it it just all kind of ties into that yeah yeah. i know we have some uh training coming up with the rest of the company and everything. And I would love to, you know, extend them this so they can actually do this either monthly or or quarterly.
0: Yeah. It's a great, it's a great tool. And I think the the value in it is the consistency that we use it. Right. Because it's, it's kind of like what a therapist would ask you on a weekly basis Mm -hmm. and help you be like, Oh shit, that's coming. Um, Or that we would wait to hear feedback from other people first. And so if we can like jump on it ourselves It empowers us to feel like we're better able to like manage and mitigate our own Mm -hmm. world, our own internal and mental health, rather than waiting on this feedback from others to check us. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that that's the advice that you would give. That's awesome. (laughs) I love it so much. Well, thank you. (laughs) Okay. So just kind of like one last thing, if there was anything else that you wanted people out there to know or hear from you, is there anything else?
1: Um, just be happy and just live your life, you know, do something that makes you happy. Um, don't think about a lot of the external factors that, or, you know, um, obligations that you set for yourself and everything. I would just say, just do something that makes you happy every day, at least one thing and and just continue to thrive. Hmm.
0: Good one. Great ending, Stephen. I love <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a blast getting to chat with you.
1: You as well. Thank you so much. I do have a question for you, though. Um, You mentioned uh, a book called Dare to Lead. Who was the author? Yeah.
0: Brene Brown. She is a local Texan. How do you not know Brene Brown?
1: You know, um, okay, I just read it now. So, anytime I'm in school, I don't read uh, a lot of books, and I love to read. Because my thought behind that is if I'm reading a book or whatever, I could be reading a textbook or I could be working on my research, yeah. or doing some type of study um, or writing a paper or whatever. And totally. So that's like, I hear you. I'm, I just kind of prioritize it. But like outside of school and everything and in between classes, I'm always picking up a new book to read. And so this yeah. might be the... Uh,
0: so she's under of of
1: this course that I'm in right now. So,
0: yeah, no, she's so okay. Brene Brown, uh, you can she's everywhere. So, she's a, uh, I think she's a professor at the University of Houston, I want to say, um, oh, wow, in the okay. social work program. And her background is, uh, she's a doctor of social work. Um, and she does a whole bunch of research. She started out researching shame. And shame resilience. And then it's led into like a whole bunch of other stuff since then. So she's had, I wanna say, like six or seven best selling books. She, I think, has two specials on Netflix. um, Mm -hmm. And she's got like two or three podcasts. Um, She's phenomenal. And she is, uh, more of her work has kind of moved into the domain of like leadership and management pieces because it's where so much of us experience. Um, like, shame and disconnection is in workplace settings. And so they're trying to figure out how to have better, like, heart-based authenticity in workplace settings, which is super cool. Um, But she has some really great stuff. Dare to Lead was one of my favorites because I direct our team here. Like, we have a large clinic. um, mm-hmm. And so as a leader in our clinic, it was really, really valuable for me. But it's, got so many applications beyond that and then her other work is phenomenal so if you ever have like spare time she's awesome
1: mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. I might act, i'm might i definitely going to look into her
0: can you send me the article a link is there a link to the article that you wrote about your experience as a black medic
1: yes um because i would uh, love to post
0: that along with your bio and stuff in our show notes
1: okay yeah so interesting um this one guy he actually is from Baltimore. He's uh, recently moved to Houston. And mm-hmm. he was working with my partner one night, uh, my, my, my normal partner. He had picked up some overtime. Yeah. And so they were talking. He's like, you know, it's not a lot of black people, black paramedics. And blah, blah, blah. And I read this article that this one guy wrote and everything. It was just amazing. I read it like four or five times a week. My girlfriend yeah. has read it and everything. I kind of get her And so he showed it to him. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, that's Nelson. He's like, he, he works. He's like, what? And so yeah. he's like, yeah, he'll be here in the morning. You'll so see that him. That morning. Yeah, this is literally just this week actually. Cool. And so I got there that morning. We had a call like right off the bat, so I didn't get a chance to speak with him. We were pretty yeah. busy and so he left and everything, but like that afternoon he came back just to speak with me and everything about the article. Um, I got his number. He's like super excited. I met his girlfriend who worked at one of the local hospitals, ER, she's a nurse. And uh, he actually asked me to sign his paramedic book and everything. I'm like, oh, my god, oh. I feel like a celebrity or something. I <laughs> feel
0: oh, like a celebrity. I love it. But,
1: yeah, so he's, uh, he's it, like, it's, uh, he, I guess it almost, like, it really resonated with him because he's going through yeah. the exact same thing that I went through when I was in paramedic school because he's the only yeah. black guy uh, in his cohort. And um, a lot of the things, you know, just have a lot of similarities in growing up. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things that we were taught, you know, have to be, uh, twice as, twice as better to get half as much. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just like that and, or whatever. And so he's like very, very, he was really excited to meet me and everything. So I think we're going to have cool. a really good friendship. Um, he wants to yeah. be my um, intern for his internship. Cool. And so, so we'll see.
0: That's awesome. Thanks so much, Stephen. I am so grateful that you are so generous with your time today.
1: Absolutely. And thank you for having me as well.
0: My pleasure. All right. We'll talk soon.
1: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. I want to say one more big thank you to my guest for today. It is so wonderful to get to have this opportunity to talk to some incredible and amazing people who have been out there doing the work, seeing this stuff, and figuring out how to hold it differently. I'm so grateful for the willingness of these incredible people to jump on with me, share their stories and share with you the various ways that they're learning and finding to move through this kind of work with some amount of sanity intact. I think we can all take something really special from that. As we wrap up today, I want to encourage you to please reach out and connect. If you have any questions or feedback, you know, I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I also love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. If you have any feedback for my amazing guest today, please let me know and I'm happy to pass it along. I continue to be so amazed and inspired by this community that we are building and creating together. I'm so grateful for your support and that many of you are so incredibly keen to share about behind the line to others on the front lines. Thank you so much for sharing with those, you know, I want to let you know that we do have ways to support sharing. So if you reach out to me, I can send you posters and cards and all kinds of other ways that you can share with your workplace and your colleagues about behind the line and our other resources. Also know that you can share any of our social media posts or forward any of our emails that we send you with reminders about the show. We just want more people to be supported. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Many of our summer series uh, episodes will be videotaped and we will include those recordings on YouTube. So check those out if you want to join us in real life. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, and you can access our email list by clicking to get our free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which helps you facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make all of our different resources available to you guys because the work you do really, really matters to our communities, but way more than that, you matter. Your life matters and the people who matter to you matter. And we wanna make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, but as well in your very real and amazing life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.